Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm joined now by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe. Hello, Seb. Uh, Seb and I are going to talk today about All or Nothing, Tottenham Hotspur, the uh, the, uh, the famous Amazon docu-series uh, with a team of people that followed Tottenham throughout last season, um, you know, starring Jose Mourinho, Danny Rose, Eric Dyer, and other names that you probably recognise from already being a football fan. Uh, we don't know what we're going to talk about because we haven't done it yet, so there's no trail for this. Just, you know, just turn off now if you've not interested or stay if you think you might be and turn off halfway through when you realize that you're not but hey something that you won't turn off halfway through or at the beginning do you know what that is uh, seb is it the athletic it is and one of the reasons for that is because you can't actually turn it off because uh, i don't know it's if that's really. terminology that you it, use with yeah. an app or with a website but you know theoretically meaningfully you wouldn't want to even if there was an off button just because of the very very high quality of the writing on the athletic it's uh oh it's a fantastic place to be particularly if you're a spurs fan uh because uh, spurs have two writers one of whom i, I watched episode nine of, of all or nothing last night i haven't got to the end yet i, I don't know whatever the penultimate one so i hope there's not some big twist at the end of the season but uh i saw charlie eccleshare uh his little face pop up in a zoom call which made me all warm and fuzzy inside because charlie's a wonderful wonderful chap uh, also we have jack pick book who I, I don't think i've seen in the series anywhere but uh it's a two-man team covering spurs i mean you'll tell me seb you're a spurs fan that's that's a that's a good thing right hey they do a great job and also um um, that's been shown this week because obviously, um, like every other Spurs fan, I've been excitedly, yeah, excitingly following. Excitingly following is that is that does that work? Excitedly, excitedly. It's been a really long week for for, for reasons that will become clear to the TIFO audience next week. We've had quite a draining uh, couple of days, but um, <laughs> Charlie and Jack have done a super job um, with David Ornstein, of course, on the Gareth Bale saga, and that's been very exciting to watch. And their, their coverage has really genuinely been superb, which is. Um, you know, and they've provided um, you know excellent analysis. What, what's obviously been a um, very quickly evolving story, um, yeah. which um, by the time this comes out should have um, should have culminated in Gareth Bale returning. Let's wind Gareth Bale into the conversation a bit later on when we talk about Daniel Levy because I think it's very I think it's a very interesting side of things. But anyway, if you like the sound of that, you can currently get the Athletic for one pound a month as part of an introductory offer, which d- does end soon, I believe. So if you're interested in in doing that, please go ahead. It's totally worth it, um, and you can do that by visiting theathletic.com forward slash tfo. Yeah, that's the one. Theathletic.com forward slash tifo. Anyway, for now, I will leave you in the warm embrace and the cool hands of myself. Let's begin, Seb, by talking just generally about the idea of a documentary following a team. I mean, I want to come later to to the impact on the players. I want to talk about some of the individual characters. But for a start, uh, uh, this is not a, a new idea, as you describe in, in, a, in a script you've written for a TIFO video, which I believe has already gone out at this point. So uh, people listening may, may have seen that. This is not a new idea. And also uh, clubs have, have already been covered in, in, in seasons past. We have uh, Leeds, of course, who are about to release their second series. And uh, Manchester City were covered a couple of years ago, too. But it's a pretty compelling idea, isn't it? It is. I feel as if football got its fingers burnt. So in the script we talk, in the video, sorry, we talk about um, 
Hunter Davis's wonderful book, The Glory Game, which he um, follows a Bill Nickerson on Spurs in the early 70s. He was granted this full access, which meant that it produced a very compelling story. Uh, it's a wonderful book if anybody hasn't read it. But it also exposed some of the things that really the game and the players and some of the staff would rather have kept private. The consequence of which seemed to be that for a long time, you'd get this sort of faux access. You'd, you'd get... Um, you know, interviews with players who, you know, were only really there to sell anything. And the idea of actually being able to to peer beyond the curtain um, was, you know, a bit alien to football. There have been some exceptions. So there have been some excellent documentaries in the past. One of the one of the underrated ones is probably Sunderland Till I Die's predecessor, Premier Passions, which was a, I forget which channel it was on, but it filmed in the 90s. And it was, um, it was a little rough around the edges. And the design quality wasn't, and the production quality wasn't quite what it is today, for obvious reasons. But it was actually very compelling. Um, and there are also there are some notorious examples. Uh, An impossible job, obviously, is um, attached to uh, Graham Taylor's legacy, sadly, and the kind of the sound bites from that remain in, in heavy rotation today. But it's it's a it's something that football has always been really uneasy with, Joe. It's a it, it feels as if it doesn't quite as if it shouldn't have to let people in that it's entitled to its privacy in the way that um, other sports, in the way that other sports aren't. I mean, if, you, if you're if you a rugby fan, for instance, then you're probably aware of the um, the great British Lions documentaries from the 90s, the Living With Lions from the South Africa tour. And the sort of, if you compare the level of access there with what you typically find in the football equivalent, or even just how, how um, scarce the football equivalents have actually been, then it's quite interesting to kind of note the cultural differences and, and also to to appreciate what a what an uncomfortable marriage this is between access and football. It's a it's a very interesting concept and it's far broader actually than than the all or nothing series. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what what's interesting to me about it is um, the the reasons behind why a club would choose to to go ahead and do this. I mean, and I note that you wrote that uh, Daniel Levy and Tottenham were, were paid quite a lot of money for a start, which is generally, uh, sorry, genuinely something I had not even considered. Right? I thought this would just be a good branding exercise or the club had been approached or for whatever reason they said yes. But no, of course, that makes sense. They, they were paid, right? Which is, which is a good thing. I guess Tottenham just built their stadium and also retrospectively because of the coronavirus, I imagine that additional you know, few million, however much it was, is, uh, is not, had not gone unwanted. Let's put it that way. And thinking like you know quite cynically about it, this is an opportunity to bring your players, or the you know it, certainly in the modern uh, modern age, twenty first century, a big part of the reason why um, you know teams have fans from from overseas of people following particular players like Son Son Heung Min, um, to bring them closer to to your audience and uh, to to make them more appropriately uh, brandable, you know, and I, I can't think uh, with the exception of like, maybe Danny Rose, although there's a bit of, you know, different opinion on that. None of the players came across particularly badly. I can't imagine that anyone has damaged their reputation. No, well, let, let me ask a question. Uh, have you watched any of the other All or Nothing series? I watched uh, the first series of Sunderland Till I Die. Um, or maybe part of the okay. second series and I watched a bit of um, the first of the Leeds one I haven't seen the City one though because I heard it was just a big advert that I agree with but what, I, what I'd say about the All or Nothing series generally is that it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit like watching uh, an Aaron Sorkin produced written uh, in television series in the sense that you get a cast of heroes you don't get black and white characters heroes and villains you, you get you get this sort of light focus on the best 
qualities of the people involved. So I think the first one I saw was the the Arizona Cardinals series, which is really excellent, by the way, if anyone wants to anyone wants to dig that out. It's quite a few years old now, but it's you know, it stands up. And there were all these little focuses on, you know, the way players prepare, but also there was a there was a I forget the name of the owner, but there's a you know lovely series of features with him, you know, about the way he, he is in his private life and he looks after sick dogs and stuff and he's just a he seems like a pretty decent human being. I think all of the series are designed to give you that same kind of warm in the stomach feeling in that no one signs up to be be portrayed as a villain. And the Tottenham series, as a rule, the more enjoyable the series is, your enjoyment of the series depends on how well you, how much you know about the side, how much you know about the season they're embarking on. Because if you're a Tottenham fan, then you're aware of a couple of things. So obviously the um, season long Tangy and Dombly saga which is kind of condensed into a very short period in a, a very late episode. I don't think Ndombele is mentioned for six six episodes, which is slightly bizarre. Also, um, the furloughing scandal that gripped Tottenham um, before the restart, well, that was one of the biggest stories in British football for a couple of days, and it's not mentioned. So, And, and whilst you can rationally understand why, if you're, if you're entering it expecting a full picture and anything other than not an advert, but a very favourable version of the truth, then you're being a little bit naive. And that's why I think uh, traditionally I've always enjoyed the NFL ones more because, and actually there's um, there's a very good one on the Mich- Michigan uh, Wolverines, which is, um, which is a lot of fun. And I, I think I enjoy them because I don't know very much about American football or college football. I like it, but I don't, I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a fan or an enthusiast of any kind. And therefore sort of in those series, what, what passes for access and revelation and originality? There is a, a lower bar for someone like me because I know less. You know, I don't know if there were sort of uh, secret sagas going on in the background or if there was a, a drama with one of the players or if there was, I don't know what I'm unaware of, in other words. Whereas with Spurs, because I'm, a, I'm much more attentive to European football, British football especially, and of course Tottenham because I support them, it's easier to be cynical because you know what's not there, Joe. And you know also when, when teams sign up to this that they are going to try and pitch it with this sort of ratio. So they're going to have like... They're going to include one little negative Danny Rose moment, but they're going to have, you know, four visits to you know charitable organizations in between that so that everybody wins, in other words. And I it's a little bit like all of those sort of the only way is Essex, that type of program. It's got a name and I, it, it eludes me, but it's like it's scripted reality. My wife says, OK, so. It's a, it's life and it's real life, but it's with all the boring bits cut out and all the bits that nobody wants to see and all the bits that the people on screen don't want you to see. It's that, isn't it? It's a scripted reality just applied to football. Yeah. I often think that about the uh, the hit TV series Monkey Business as well. I don't know if you ever watched that. I have not seen that. Watched that. <laughs> with uh, Alison and Jim Cronin. It's just a, hey, it's a, it's a scripted live documentary series that follows some monkeys that live in monkey world. Uh, I think they're in Dorset. And I think, hey, these monkey characters, they seem really friendly. They're always getting up to, you know, uh, fun, if slightly mischievous things. But Hi, what are Jinx. they doing when the cameras are off? I not I don't work at the zoo. I'm not familiar with the biology of monkeys. I don't know how much of this is, is real. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, what, yeah, if the, yeah. what if the monkeys are just doing... Uh, you know, fun monkey stuff when when I'm watching them on UK TV Gold. But I don't know. Also, uh, there was a slight dig at Aaron Sorkin at the beginning of your comment there, Seb, which I hugely reject. I don't know if you've seen The Social Network, but I think there's some complex characters in that film. 
let's talk about that. I'm actually a huge Sorkin fan. Um, what do you mean? Social... Do you just mean you like The West Wing? No, I like The West Wing. I like The Newsroom. I really like The Social Network. I don't know how complex some of those characters are. I think it's so. They're a... certainly more complex than the characters in in All or Nothing, Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a cast, the cast of heroes in the same way. I think, I think you're doing. I think, I think you're doing Harry Kane a huge disservice. I have to say, but. <laughs> Uh, actually, let's not talk about that. Let me talk about Harry Kane, who okay. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if this is just me or uh, if uh, if you felt the same way, if people listening felt the same way. But for a start, every single team talk that was given by a player, blech. I mean, like if they demotivated me, I wouldn't want to go out and play after listening to the just a, so like basically just a lot of swearing. And also, the in, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not blaming uh, Loris for being French, but the natural intonation of of, uh, of his accent is when speaking in English, going up instead of going down, you know, at the, at the time, which makes it feel less dramatic. Oh, God. Harry Kane Let- pushing people around. Harry Kane... I mean, just I cannot imagine a more a bland uh, protagonist here. I mean, he's not the protagonist, but they obviously wanted to make him that a more bland hero for your TV series. Like I, I like him much less now. He, he's the only one, in my opinion, that's come out that's actually come out kind of badly just for being. I mean, you know, displayed displayed as such a kind of boring one note person. Let me let me predictably jump in and defend Kane here. The people that have spent time around him. Um, you know, players, generally people, describe an aura. And I wonder if you, if if, if player in your situation who is very much uh, the figurehead of a club, the, um, the modern icon of Tottenham, the Isle of, you know, fans up and down the country, I wonder whether there's a little bit of pressure on someone like that. So when you know that there's an Amazon series going on and he's not Tottenham captain, but he has that kind of de facto captaincy because of you yeah. know, his standing in the dressing room. I wonder if there's a sort of an implied pressure to conform to certain cliches, you know, to be a bit of a, a Roy Keane in the dressing room. I mean, what invariably what people say uh, is that that kind of stuff, the dressing room, Churchillian speeches, it's all bollocks. It lasts for 10 minutes and then it wears off and then you're dependent on tactical and technical instruction. And that defines the game. All that sort of, all that kind of shouted rhetoric and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just for show. It's just to make kind of fans feel a little bit better about, you know, whether people care or not, in inverted commas. And so I, right. I wonder, I mean, I, I don't know if this is true. I've obviously never, um, I haven't seen Harry Kane um you know, or heard Harry Kane talk in a dressing room you know, when the Amazon cameras aren't there. But I, I wonder if you kind of, there's this expectation where like you go in and be like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm supposed to be saying something, especially in an, a situation like that where Pochettino's gone. I mean, he's, you know, his, his departure is condensed into about 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> and the club is in a little bit of mild chaos. And it's searching for leadership. Kane is the natural figure. I wonder if had the Amazon documentary shown him sitting quietly in the corner, just, you know, preparing for, you know, his own performance. I wonder if that would have led to a different kind of tranche of criticism. This podcast is brought to you by Hims. Now, if you haven't heard of Hims, they're basically your best mate when it comes to those tricky men's health problems. Balding is an awkward topic for men, yet a lot of us start to lose our hair before we hit 40. 
And the best way to take control of hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some hair. Don't wait until it's all gone before you do something about it, because it's more difficult then. Hims was created to make it easier for guys to seek care, especially guys who avoid seeing their doctor in person for awkward health conversations. Hello, because not everyone wants to have personal conversations face to face with a stranger in a white coat. Personally, I don't at all. I'm worried they're going to take me away. So Hims connects you to real doctors online, which could save you hours. It's completely confidential and discreet. You get a proper consultation and they'll give you sound advice on just what you can do to help your hair before it's too late. And it couldn't be easier to book your free consultation. Just go to forhims.com forward slash athletic. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot co dot UK forward slash athletic. Well, this is a really good uh, point to to start the conversation about the players watching it because I mean this is this is how we got to this point on on last week's podcast. We talked about the idea of Spurs being impacted by having just watched all of these documentary uh, episodes be released and then going back to playing football again. I feel personally, whether the club would admit it or not, whether the players even know it consciously or not, there is absolutely no way in hell if they've watched those episodes that they are not at the very least subconsciously impacted by that. Because whether or not we think that most of the players have come across well and the perception is is generally speaking very positive, uh, there are a couple of things that come to mind for me. The first is that nobody likes watching themselves, really. Uh, and nobody uh, is used to watching themselves. So when you do, it's a bit like when you took a photo of me when I didn't realise the other day from an angle that I haven't seen for, you know, since the last time someone did. You look at yourself and you go, oh, is that what I look like from there, 15 feet away? And it throws you for a moment because you're you're used to looking at your face in the mirror. And, you know, my face, very attractive. My bum, eh, less less attractive, right? Well, uh, but let's, secondly, let, let's let people through the through the curtain a little bit because we've been we've been doing some filming the last few days, and this is a really interesting point because um, uh, you were you're right you you had a weird reaction to that. I also we were editing a little bit of footage in which you and I both appear, and we were having a conversation about it last week where I was kind of adamant that. I didn't want to be on camera unnecessarily. I don't want to see my face. I don't want to hear my voice, you know, really um, any more than I need weirdly to. weirdly to, to themselves. I think it's a really good point, absolutely. Uh, and I think the second thing is that one of the reasons that no player particularly comes across badly, again, maybe with the exception of Danny Rose, depending on what you think about that that particular scenario, and we can, we can talk about that later. Um, Jose Mourinho is, is clearly the star of the show, and for obvious reasons, right? I mean, let's not forget the speed with which this documentary team had to turn this series around is just yeah. ex- exceptional. Like, it, it's unbelievable that they've made what they've made uh, on the, the basis of how much footage made, they yeah. have. Exactly. The challenges to having to miss a whole uh, part of the season, having to try and decide what the narrative is going to be for each show, having to, having to decide when Tan- Tangi and Dombele uh, enters, for example. Like, what's too much information? What's, what's not enough? Uh, but the main task here being... You film every day, or you know, uh, certainly a, a number of days a month with these with these players, with these people. Uh, you film the whole, all of those days, and then you go home and you cut those things down into two shots. Like in the first two episodes, there were some heavily covered games. To I think to kind of you know neutralise the audience and welcome them into the idea of this being being a football documentary and football being the important thing about it. But very quickly, you get to the point where the games are kind of a footnote in the episodes. Right? There's two or three shots that are used from the stadium. They fly to Germany. Uh, with with them and there's that's maybe two minutes worth of footage and I guarantee you there will have been hours and hours of that with multiple camera people the editing job is astonishing and like it, it, yeah. the amount of footage that they will have had to watch through is 
is disgusting and it makes me it makes me feel ill so i can understand why very easily jose Mourinho is an obvious protagonist and if you need to build your series around one person as a narrative it's clearly not going to be harry kane partly for personality reasons and partly for uh, injury reasons he just doesn't feature right it has to be jose Mourinho. they also had to make the decision at the beginning about how much of the pochettino side of the season to, to to carry on and i think i know they got criticism for that and i know that that seemed a little difficult but they definitely from a narrative perspective they definitely made the right decision you don't have your big t- twist like that halfway through the series when you finally just you know engaged uh, uh, and, and bought into certain characters they just disappear and some new guy comes in that's not how telly works right so they definitely made the right decision there but my perspective is that players Players watching this series, they will they will know Mourinho, of course. They will have their own impressions of him. They will have seen him making all of these comments. It's not like this is the first time they're going to see, uh, or some of that stuff, some of the private interviews, but the first time they're going to see uh, all of the team talks and all of the little incidental comments and what have you. It's the first time they're going to see them in the context of through somebody else's eyes, through the eyes of a, of a, of a production company, people who are trained in media, people who, who know what's interesting to other people. Uh, it's it's it, it inserts a natural social hierarchy into the club, into the conversations, into what's funnier, what's more interesting, what what's more winnable, what's going to get more fans. It's Mourinho, 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 Mourinho. And even if that's true, how does that make you feel as a as a football player? You're supposed to be you know one of the stars of your team, and um, not only in the press are you uh, sort of outshone by your your manager who incidentally might not be doing such a good job not only at every press conference are you outshone by him because it's his diversionary tactic to talk about himself or you know whatever to distract from the from the news but also this season long this whole year basically of being filmed by a production team who undoubtedly you will have become friends with turns out they really like this other guy loads and uh, you realize that he's the feature and you're just not that interesting like that would have an enormous effect if someone filmed you for a year seb even if you were in a group if someone came and filmed tifo for a year and then the whole documentary was about producer ad and you barely featured in it uh, you would you would have questions about how interesting you were as a person, wouldn't you? Even if you just had a kind of you know a good year where there wasn't any twists and turns, even if the reality of a TV thing didn't apply to you because you weren't being crazy, you would still think, "Am I boring?" I I think there's another angle here, Joe. Like I I think if if the if the if I'm not on screen for enough time, so if in that TV example, if my screen time is not commensurate with what I believe my role and importance to be at TIFO, I think that creates a resentment. Very obvious. Yeah. I also think there's another problem in that Mourinho is, when you make Mourinho the star of something like that, you're given a choice. You're making a choice between, are you going to depict him as the character we suspect him to be, which is complex, antagonistic, potentially sometimes cruel, potentially brilliant too. Now, if you, the, 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 the Tottenham series very obviously uh, goes with a sort of a, a softer focus on him and showing him, you know, motivating people and putting his arm around players and worrying about how to pronounce Jaffet Tanganga's name. So that's the Mourinho they go with. Now, if you're a player in that dressing room and you see the other sides of his personality being edited yeah. out when you watch it, and then at the same time, if you see yourself being portrayed in a potentially negative way, so I, I would say, for instance, Dele Ali gets subtly done over by the documentary he appears in camera when he's being accused of being a lazy trainer or when i forget the game but there's a um there's a post-game session in which they're picking apart it's the first leg of the leipzig game where yeah, they're looking yeah. at the penalty conceded by ben davis 
And Mourinho uh, points out and analyzes Dele Alli's movement and his responsibility and his failure to make Ben Davis aware yeah. of what's happening around him. And and the also and his the argument with Eric Dyer after that after the loss when he he seems like he's moaning and then Eric Dyer has a go at him even though it's 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 pitched as a you know oh these guys love each other and it's good that they're angry yeah, absolutely uh, it, it it was a bitter argument <laughs> it, it really was and also so if you are Deli Ali now and you've seen your manager portrayed in kind of through a sort of a sepia tone lens and this is idolised Jose Mourinho as he appears on you know, MasterCard adverts and betting adverts and, you know, brand Mourinho. And you're Deli Ali and you're you're coming across as a slightly petulant, ill-disciplined footballer. I don't think I'd be happy about that. Now yeah. you can make a you can make arguments about how fair that is. You can talk about whether Ali deserves that or whether, you know, I'm I whenever Jose Mourinho comes up in conversation, there's this sort of standing army of people that defend him. I'm not quite sure why, but they are. They they do even. Um, it doesn't matter whether you, what side of that you fall on. The reality is these are people and these are people who have pride and ego. And it's a challenge to that, a series like All or Nothing, inevitably. I would also say, you know, to extend that slightly further, Danny Rose and Christian Eriksen as well, both players who, who featured in the series as so far as they were leaving the club, right? Danny Rose on loan to Newcastle. Christian Eriksen was a transfer to Inter Milan. Both of them, and this is what I found really interesting about it. I didn't really notice it so much with the Danny Rose bit, but with Christian Eriksen, when we featured those meetings with, I think Danny Rose was just with Mourinho and that was the sort of more explosive one, which appeared to come out of nowhere because he basically hadn't featured in the documentary before that <laughs> point, right? So obviously it didn't yeah. come out of nowhere for a start. The Christian Eriksen one was really interesting because he sits in the room with Daniel Levy, sits next to Daniel Levy, and his body language is very reserved. Like he's pulled as far away from Daniel Levy as he can be. And Jose Mourinho is on the other side of the room in a little armchair. They're both kind of facing him. It's a job interview dynamic. It's a two versus one dynamic. Whether they're pretending that they want it to be something else or not, that's what it is, right? And Christian Eriksen has his, has, his, has his heckles up. They're talking about the possibility of him being able to move to Milan. Daniel Levy is kind of in a very friendly sort of godfatherly uncle way explaining how all the club needs to make some money because otherwise you know it's not a good deal you wouldn't want us to do it either Christian and Christian's kind of there uh, his response to everything that Daniel says is very, very defensive. You know, the first thing is he says, well, I'm not in control of how much Inter Milan bid for me. And Daniel Levy's like, oh, I know, but you know, you know, I know. The reality of this situation is that Daniel Levy is telling Christian Eriksen something to go and tell his agent who can go and tell another agent who can go and tell Inter Milan, right? He's ferrying a message through a back corridor. And also this is going to be one of a number of conversations. Christian Eriksen's immediate defensiveness to everything that's mentioned, which seems totally, uh, you know, plastic in this conversation teams seems totally unthreatening that there's nothing wrong with this at all and Christian Eriksen is painted as the one who's kind of you know threatened for whatever reason by this this welcoming environment it's quite clear that they don't trust the, the owners right that they don't trust the manager I don't mean specifically at Tottenham Tottenham I mean generally speaking as a player that the club will where possible in most cases do everything it can to get everything that is best for the club. And if that means fucking the player completely, that's what they'll do, right? That is what Christian Eriksen, an experienced player, is reacting to. Christian Eriksen, who'd been at Spurs for six six years, five, six years, I mean, a long time, right? That's what he's reacting to. He comes across as just, you know, defensive and, uh, you know, jostling for a move. And I'm sure that that's the way that Tottenham would like that to be perceived because they eventually let a player go who, you know, is, is fantastic at what he does. And... 
for a lot less money, I imagine, than they would have wanted to. Uh, a situation poorly resolved earlier on, essentially. Like, the club made a mistake. Uh, they should have sold him earlier or they sh- shouldn't have expected him to sign a new contract. The way that he reacted and the way that Danny Rose reacted as well, which was with, with Fury at the time, is really, uh, really indicates to me a distrust there and that this is these aren't one-off situations you know it's not a surprise that, that there were those sorts of emotions displayed in both of those meetings and I'd love to see Daniel Levy and Jose Mourinho in those conversations when the cameras are, are off and when they don't think they're there or to hear the conversation between the two of them to hear the conversation between between the, the, the people at executive level uh, who I imagine would be much much less friendly uh, in the way that they were the way that they were going about it. It just, that struck me as not necessarily poorly pitched or displayed within the documentary, because I imagine that relates to a lot of stuff that the documentary team would not have had access to, but very well controlled by the club for the for the message that it, that it sent out. I think this is, I mean, it's really interesting you brought up that scene specifically, because it's one of the ones that I have a, a problem with. Um, and it's going to sound a little conspiratorial, but it felt when I was watching it as if it had been designed to correct a perception that I, a supporter, had about Daniel Levy. So the brief history of Christian Eriksen is that for a long time the club were able, with a lot of other players too, to um, fend off the, the advances of other clubs who were interested in Tottenham players by offering these individuals incremental increases in their um, in their basic wage. Eventually Eriksen was one of those who became a little bit smart to that and started to wind down his contract refused any attempt by the club to extend his deal. There's certainly a broad sense in the fan base that that was a situation bungled by the club. It became clear quite a while ago that Ericsson wanted to leave the club and that he got wise this idea of, you know, being, you know, tempted to stay by by incremental increases in his contract. Or trapped. Um, <laughs> trapped a little, well, I, I, a lot of people have used that word, Joe. That's very fair. Trapped and ensnared, maybe. And so a lot of fans think that the club missed the opportunity, missed their ideal selling point for Ericsson, were too optimistic in their valuation, were too stubborn when nobody yeah. wanted to meet it. And as a United result... United would cost- have paid for him a couple of years before. Like They would, they I, would have I, paid big for him. Absolutely. I, um, I had a conversation with a journalist at Old Trafford once who, um, I won't mention his name, but was adamant that United had bid a huge amount of money for Ericsson and that they'd been turned down. And, and a lot of people know these things or, you know, um, suspect them. And so as a result, when Ericsson left, I think a lot of people were upset with Ericsson because, you know, a lot of the a lot of the irritation and frustration always lands on the player. That's just natural in football, I'm afraid. But Levy was damaged by that. You know, he has this reputation as a kind of the um, the apex predator of negotiators within the football world. And he'd been done over. He'd been outsmarted, really, because Inter Milan, I know it hasn't really worked out for Ericsson in Italy, but Inter Milan got a player of that calibre, theoretically in his prime, for 20 million euros. That's a great deal. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like that scene as with a few others that we'll probably mention, was designed to kind of attack my perception. Yeah. It's, it was about Ericsson. It was, it was designed to show him in a certain way. It was also intended to show a benevolent Daniel Levy, a kind of, hey man, I'm just a reasonable guy. If someone, you know, if someone meets my asking price, you're free to go. You've been great. We love you. You know, best <laughs> of luck. Whereas in reality, this harks back to what we said earlier about how it benefited very much about the sport or the team. I know better than that. It's slightly insulting to my intelligence as a supporter yeah. because I know a more detailed history than that. And I also, 
like anybody else just you know by by being around the club and the news reports and you know spending time reporting on the club it's a huge simplification of what was yeah. ultimately a fairly complex situation well it's not it's not for you is it i guess that's no, kind of, of course, half not. The of point. course maybe not. those ones are directed a little bit but i will say on 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 the daniel levy case i mean two two things firstly I think it is very interesting timing to have this series. I, I know that perhaps, you know, you, obviously Pochettino takes Spurs to a Champions League final the season before, so it's not like he would have foreseen having to make that difficult decision with Maurizio Pochettino. But it's pretty amazing that those very those kind of difficult uh, uh, decisions, letting Christian Eriksen go in the January, for example, which is something he knew he'd be criticised of, and actually uh, repeatedly throughout the docuseries uh, uh, references criticism. This is the one thing I associate yeah. with Daniel Levy, with the exception of like insanely uh, um, cringeworthy uh, lunchtime conversations with Jose Mourinho. <laughs> he seems totally uninterested. <laughs> I, I, like, I, can't, uh, I cannot watch those. They trigger me for some reason. Uh, My favourite one of those is when he, um, it's after one of Mourinho's first training sessions. And Levy's just sort of cruising the corridors into the office. How are you doing, Jose? How's training? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, goodness me. But, um, but, you know, like every, not every scene, of course, but m- many scenes that, that, that Levy is in, and certainly what I associate with him throughout the documentary is, is that, yeah, he repeatedly talks about a criticism of the club, criticism of him. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's his job. You know, maybe his job is to try and guide Tottenham through, you know, a complex... Um, a complex kind of modern modern system of uh, uh, fan criticism over nebulous things. He wants to use this as an opportunity, understandably, to explain that transfers are difficult. I think he probably went a little over the top uh, doing that, but I, I can understand or imagine, certainly, if you were in that position and you received the, the kind of, you know, mundane, idiotic, uh, you know, just really fucking stupid Twitter stuff about sign this player now it's really not that hard you'd probably it would probably piss you off you know but he he is he is in the in the in the documentary he is nothing nothing like the perception I had of him beforehand and that's I cannot imagine that that hasn't been staged in some way or that a man of that intelligence and of that means wouldn't have you know uh, at least had um, you know series of, of conversations with media professionals about his image about what he was trying to to get across. It just it's just interesting that this season was the season, you know, the one where he would have been criticised if those decisions were made in the dark. It's interesting that this season is the one that was that was documented. It is, it is. I, I think it's also interesting because it it actually uh, it highlights the the power of these series, you know, and the kind of the the usefulness and utility of them. So, Joe, you mentioned the idea that you know he can come onto the camera, come onto camera, and sort of. You know, um, subtly defend his record in the transfer market and correct a perception that he's more than aware of, which is that you know, Tottenham are not good at bringing in players at the right time. He also sort of attempted to defuse, felt like he attempted to defuse the criticism aimed at him for the collapse under Mauricio Pochettino, which is that yeah. you know, funds were not made available for, for a build. Pochettino was kind of hung out to dry. Um, I'm not sure. I, I think that's a simplification, but there are a lot of Tottenham fans who think that way. But I think having a series like this, it's a very powerful thing. If you have someone like Levy, who is not a media-facing personality, his interviews in the past have been very, very few and far between. I mean, he's really not far off an Abramovich figure before this series. There would probably have been a few Tottenham fans who didn't even know what Daniel Levy's voice sounded like, um, yeah. which is very telling. Now, if you have this... I did. I thought it'd be you... much more sinister. <laughs> <laughs> well, like... <laughs> 
just because of how hard nosed he is in the deals i always you know like that's all i knew about him was that he he always struck a good deal and i i thought he'd talk something like this you're not gonna fuck around more, with me a bit mate. more bloodless and uh yeah, and dispassionate but, but and there wouldn't be any feeling in his eyes and yeah yeah no, I, well, a I kind of a ray fair. winston that's, light you know yeah, but but that's that's how he's portrayed. But then I think that actually, um, okay, so it's one thing you and I having this conversation. Like, um, I've worked in football for quite a long time. We work um, covering football. All the, you know that that is Tifo's function. So we are immersed in the game in a way that um, is unusual for people who aren't. I think if you watch Daniel Levy's quote unquote performance in the series, I think that's the version of him that you go with. I think it's very yeah. seductive if you have people talking to camera. And again, this is what I was talking about with the kind of the Sorkin element earlier. You want to like these characters. And I can certainly yeah. say in the past that, um, you know, when I've watched uh, you know, the Arizona Cardinals series, for instance, you know, you end up really liking Patrick Peterson. He seems like a really, really nice guy. So is Carson, um, Carson Palmer. And you, you kind of, you develop an attachment which is based on a level of access that you don't usually have that doesn't exist in the media that doesn't you know if you're if you're not putting someone through the filter of a you know a journalist yeah. keyboard if you're not um if you're actually human just, face yeah you're giving them this human face which is very compelling and it surprises me a little bit i mean or it would certainly let's let's rephrase it would surprise me if within 10 years every club doesn't have this every club within reason who can afford to produce something not probably Amazon's level, because as you said before, they do a wonderful one of job. It's uh, you know, it's an amazing piece of work. It would surprise me if clubs weren't trying to reproduce their own version of this as their own kind of in-house documentary that gives yeah. their version of a season's truth. I think we make this point yeah. in the video that I think that's where we're going because for someone like Levy, for someone like Mourinho, you get you get a chance, an unopposed opportunity to tell your side of a story. And in football, Goodness, given given how many opinions there are and you know how many agendas yeah. there are, what an opportunity that is. No, totally. I, I completely agree. I think that's where it's going. I'd be surprised if in twenty years like lots of big Premier League clubs don't have don't have these themselves. Or or let's say the Premier League, you know, gets this act together and um sets up a streaming service, uh, or global streaming service and ditches the broadcasters, then imagine this, you know, imagine having this level of access using all that extra money that they could make doing that. To, to, to film all of their teams and to create one series which followed through, you know, behind the scenes every weekend, whatever, and then all of these separate series for all your own football club, you know, for everyone's club. I mean, I think that's... I, think that's that I, can't, I, I can't see why that wouldn't happen. What you've just described there is basically NFL films, which um, yeah. for people who haven't watched their work, NFL films is magical, even if you don't really like the NFL or American football in general. Their work documenting the league. They are their role is to be the uh, I, I guess you describe them as the NFL's official film partner, and their chronology of decades and decades and decades worth of footage um, on the field and off it is just amazing. And I actually think that um, one of the ways in which the series, this Tottenham series, falls down is the lack of match action. I think if you look, if you if you you can find this on YouTube actually, if you find. Um, if you find footage of Larry Fitzgerald's touchdown against the Green Bay Packers and the kind of the sequence that Amazon shows within the show, within within their documentary, it's magical. Like the music, the footage, the way it's shot, the angles on the people involved. So you're watching, you're watching um, a game-winning moment 
first through the eyes of the fan because you're seeing what's happening on the pitch then you're seeing um the coach's wife in her hospitality box he's kind of living and dying with his coaching performance you know it's their life and then mm. you're seeing the owner who is um you know desperately wants success then you're seeing the other players on the sideline sort of the defensive players who aren't on the field at that time and they're reacting you see patrick peterson run down the um the side of the the field i'm not an american football fan and i don't really much care for the Arizona Cardinals but it gives me chills watching that it's so yeah, well done yeah. it's so well done that I cannot believe the Premier League hasn't with all its resources hasn't tried I accept the football is mechanically a little bit different or European football but it's such a failing it's such it's a gonna failing happen. It's, it's gonna happen it should have well it should have happened a long time ago because NFL Films has been doing this since the 1960s yeah but NFL is the TV sport isn't it that's the thing it's the it's the kind of it's it, it, the TV is the reason it's it's successful. It is, but then you could turn that around and say that you know, um, you know, film chronology is a way of embellishing what has become an entertainment product. And yeah. hey, 1992 is now a really long time ago. We're nearly 30 years on, Joe. It is a, an entertainment product. Hey, Alex, did you know that this podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming? I'll be honest, no, not not until you just hit me with that. Seb, did you know that Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family aduels? Precision is important in that area. It very I'll much is. It yes. very much is. And I'm, I'm excited today, gang, because Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job over here. So you could be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. And that's life-changing in a good way, gang. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. And the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. I'm a multitasker, so I like to do everything at once. Uh, and we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping right now by using the code EPL20. That's EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving, gang. Hey, I'm going to stop you now because I, I, I want to say one more thing before we wrap this up. Two more things, but very short, very short things. You ready? The first is, this is a really good series. I like it. If you watch it, knowing all of the things that that, that I feel like I know uh, about what it's supposed to do to you, and not be not allow yourself to be kind of sucked in by the advert side of it, which I'm sure I have, unbeknownst to me, it's impossible to do it without doing that in some aspects. But just you know, if you are uh, if you are an educated viewer, then this is very very compelling television. I like it a lot. Uh, good job, excellent job, all the people who made it, well done, and uh, you know, it can't have been easy to be followed around by cameras for a whole year as well, so well done to everybody at Tottenham Hotspur. But the other thing, I just want to talk about Danny Rose before we go, because I left that hanging before. Yeah. Because it was very interesting to me, Seb, um, uh, you know, that was pretty much the only scene in which he featured. There was a split among people watching, some people thought, you know, go on Danny Rose, you tell him, other people thought, you're a spoilt player, whatever. What struck me was uh, the the line about him wanting to go to to a bigger club 
uh, and and not wanting to go to Bournemouth for that reason. Uh, and so you know whether or not the bigger club you know air quotes thing means top four or means a club that is you know above maybe above Danny Rose's current standing or at the time is in doubt to me maybe that that certainly made it sound very clear cut uh, in a way that I don't know whether it would be things tend to be a little more complicated than that but also I, I, I found very interesting the idea that a player who exists in an environment you know at like a football club or certainly a Premier League football club might not have the same objective ability about their own talent and their own current level as it relates to other players. Because if Danny Rose really wanted to go to one of the big four teams, I think that was something that was possible uh, three years before. I agree. Uh, not the season that we just watched. It certainly wasn't. And I think, you know, I think he, he, it was, it, Newcastle was probably a good, a good fit for him. And I don't mean that in a critical way. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, go up to Danny Rose and shout in his face that he's shit. Cause he's certainly not. He's obviously a, a phenomenally talented player as every player in the Premier League is. You have to be to be at that. So it's not a criticism in that sense. It's just, I'm just curious about a player's ability to be incapable of, of objectivity in that sense. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. But it's the environment, right? I mean, presumably it doesn't allow them to be, or they're not surrounded by people who are going to be honest with them. I think that's probably fair. I I think one of the difficulties for Danny Rose was that, uh, was probably watching Carl Walker get his move to Manchester City because Walker and Rose as a fullback tandem were incredibly dynamic. You know, they were a source of great energy for Pochettino's team. The objectivity point is interesting because it's really hard to to get a sense of how a player feels. It's also it must be a very must be a very isolating world because you you cannot speak out. You cannot just habitually you mustn't listen to too much of the noise that surrounds you because so much of it is negative, so much of it is hyperbole. So it must be very very easy to get lost in that in that environment. What I'll say is that there, there are two things about Danny Rose. One, I, I think um, there's a lot of him that I really admire. I think he's a voice for tremendous good. He's um, He has an emotional intelligence, which is rare in footballers, I think. At the same time, I think he's made some quite poor decisions. I think if you're... Uh, a lot of a lot of Tottenham fans are supportive of his his sort of you know um, his public criticism of the club because it echoed with a lot of their frustrations. However, I think someone of his intelligence knew full well that if you give an, uh, interviews to the Sun in which you say the kind of things that he did, in which you're very very critical, you know full well how antagonistic you're being, and you know exactly how people are going to respond to it because. There are some players that you think you're just naive, you don't know what you're doing. Danny Rose isn't one of those people, I don't think. It's a very difficult topic. I, I, it's a real shame that he didn't win something because you're quite right. He was a, he was a superb player for, for a couple of years. I don't think his career is a superb career. I think he had two or three really, really good seasons. And it's a shame to hear that he hasn't enjoyed his football as much as he could have done. I think the way he ended his Tottenham career um, reflects very poorly on the club found out that he wasn't being given a um, squad number through television which if that's true I think that's really poor form for a player that's been there for such a long time I think that's um, that's not really on I don't like that but it's a there are very there are very, very much two sides to that argument I think um, without sort of going to the detail that we can't discuss but it's um, it's very difficult and I I think you see some of that in the documentary yeah I see the I think you see the conflict and I, I, I actually I mean We've been quite critical. I, I think the, the product is great. I think the, the nature of the show is... Yeah, it's not I really loved for it. me. I, I think, well, I, I think the scene between him and Mourinho is great. I think it's... Um, yeah. 
I think it's been stage managed to an extent. I think Mourinho is very, very aware that there are cameras in that room. I think his response probably a little tempered by that. Um, <laughs> a but little. I think you see that a little. Yeah. He I think plays. See, he plays like the the kind of abused member of the party, doesn't he? I mean, he, he plays he the one who who's kind of like under the fierce uh, grapple of Danny Rose. I mean, fucking come on, man. Not you, well, Mourinho. It, no, no. I, I mean, I, I agree to an extent, but then um, uh, that was a situation that Mourinho inherited. So I've got a little bit of sympathy for him because Danny Rose discontent for a long time before Mourinho got to the club. But Mourinho, again, Mourinho is is part of the performance, isn't it? But M- M- Rose is the one that you watch, and I think you see someone that has that is fighting some things and is very conflicted about where his career is, and he wants and to play confident. football, but he kind of doesn't. But he, you know, it's he's an interesting guy. I admire it, man. Like I think, you know, he goes into the room into into the room of a man with a, with a huge global reputation for being, you know, for being and guys uh, after. Him. Uh, a genius manager for being whatever for being kind of you know tough on players and that sort of thing and he just he just says no <laughs> like straight away yeah. i think like, i know maybe it's not handled in the right way and as you say maybe there's poor decision making and whatever uh, but I, I i i for one i feel very comfortable in saying that documentary does not give the context to that situation this is the first scene that danny rose really appears in that's it yeah. and then he's gone that's that's all we see all, all we know of the narrative what i see is is an employee going into a, a, a workplace where he feels he's being mistreated and telling his boss to fuck off and that always gets me excited <laughs> i hope none it of does. my uh, empl- employers are listening <laughs> to yeah this. well I- <laughs> This is my next question. Let's end I'm, it I'm coming for you. I'm coming. I just think that sort of with the context, you, you're quite right. That situation is badly lacking in it. But then I suppose you could probably make another documentary series out of Danny Rose versus Tottenham. Uh, and it would be very, very interesting, arguably even more so. Yeah. Um, so it's a difficult situation, uh, but it's uh, it's compelling. Can, can we have one little mention of the uh, the Tangy and Dombly scene where uh, he, uh, Musa Sissoko and Serge Aurier just gather around the table and talk about how hasn't really gone as it might <laughs> might have done it's gonna i think this is this 60- the last episode because this is the one i haven't seen <laughs> it's the penultimate one it's I, I think it's the penultimate one where um the three of them because um uh they they um they will obviously speak french and uh, tangy and dombley's um english is a bit limited at the moment he's only been here for a, a few months so fair enough um but they're discussing his um his difficult first season and it's kind of, um, hey man, if if you just try hard and you know you work and everything will be fine, <laughs> you know. And, and then um, you know, at one point Tangi's asked, you know, just you know, why do you become a footballer? He's like, I just love football. I just love football. <laughs> and it's kind of one of those things where you, you're you're meant to be sort of you're meant to leave that scene thinking, you know what? I'm going straight out and I'm getting Tangi and Dombley's name on the back of my Tottenham show. He's just a good guy. He just loves the yeah. game, man. Yeah, and I'm yeah. sure he does. I'm sure he does. It's not a reflection on him at all. It's just, it's kind of, it's the low point for me of the of the series just because I think, I, I, I watched I watched him play, man. Like, And to his credit, he started to revive his career and, and good luck to him. But it was, uh, it was a funny moment. It did make me laugh. Mm, okay. Well, that's the end of our podcast. Uh, we'll be back later in the week with another thing. Don't know what that'll be. Uh, but um, have a lovely day I suppose thanks to uh, to you Seb thank you very much Joe also to producer AD who's a, here is a standard today in a, instead of producer Adonis thank you producer AD 
he's doing all the hard work behind the scenes which has shown up to chat and now we're leaving again um so yeah cheers uh, see you later goodbye 